All right. Hey, uh, over these last few weeks, as we've um, kicked off this season, we've been talking about the church we hope for. And in this message series, we've been talking about these different values that we hope can really mark who we are as a church community in this city as well as beyond. Now, I realize that it's aspirational. Not all the time do we reach kind of this, uh, these goals that we aspire to be. But hopefully by putting this out there, we are saying this is who we aspire to be as a community that's seeking Jesus together. If you're not a Christian here, welcome. I hope some of these values can still resonate with you, even if you might not be a person of faith. And so um, actually this past Friday night, um, we were talking, uh, and today the theme is actually going to be mission, this value of mission. And uh, this past Friday night, I was with a group of people afterwards on our rooftop. Uh, after the worship and prayer night, we were having an after party on the rooftop. And as we were talking, one of the guys was basically saying, oh, I want to start like a, a league, a basketball league of some sort. And uh, Joe Robertson in the back, he also is interested in starting a basketball league and stuff. And so we're like, oh, we can get a group of people to play together. And once we started talking about this idea of having a, a, a league and even a, a team that would play together and things like that, um, the different values that end up shaping how these uh, teams and leagues form, um, so we was a topic of discussion. And we realized there are basically two poles of people, right? So like on one pole, there's this group of people that are just basically like, you know, if we're going to be in a league, God calls us to be excellent and to win, right? Right. So like there's this view that we are excellent. We're going to crush people in the name of Jesus. Like this is what we're called to do. So let me, you know, like let's get all the ballers to just sign up for this thing and let's just be a group of winners that are representing Jesus in this fashion, right? So there's one end, right? This excellence end. And there's this other group that looks at that group, right? And this other group is basically like, oh my goodness, you're so intense. Like the goal is to have fun, okay? Everyone should get to play. We all get like equal minutes, like the goal is to love one another, all right? That's what the goal is. And so I realized basically whenever these leagues come about, there's, you know, which one is it? And here's what ends up happening, right? Because both of these groups and wherever you are on the continuum, uh, I won't ask you to self-identify where you are on the continuum, but here's what happens, right? Both sides end up annoying one another to no end, right? The loving people are like, these guys are so intense. Why do they take it so seriously? I can't believe it. We're just supposed to have fun. Right? And this other group is basically like, uh, I, this is not about having fun. It's about winning. Like, if we're not going to win, if we're not going to try, then why are we even doing this? And so here's the question. The question is, gosh, what does God want? <laughs> what does God want? What is the heart of God when it comes to love or when it comes to advancement and mission? Well, what if I told you that it was actually both? It was actually both. Check this out. Matthew chapter 22. Look at what Jesus says. When he's, he's talking about the great commandment, look what it says. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, this vertical nature of loving God with everything that I have. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, he's basically like, Here, here's the name of the game. Here's what it's all about. It's all about love. If I were to sum up the story from Genesis all the way to eventually the book of Revelation, it really is about love, loving God and loving others. It really is about love. Now, some of you in the love camp are like, see, I knew it. These people are taking it way too seriously. But check this out. Just a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus is ascending into heaven, he gives this charge to his disciples. And look what he says. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Can I hear you say, make disciples? That's right. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is actually called the Great Commission. 
You see, both of these are true, that the Christian journey is not only a life of love, but it's also a life of mission, that we're going somewhere. In the same way, a community that's called is not simply a community that's supposed to be the safe, loving community that never advances and pushes back forces of darkness and evil, but instead, it's supposed to be a community that is not only loving and warm and inclusive, but also one that is courageous and contends for justice and mercy and kindness and love. It's both. See, here's what it is. It's the great commandment, which is to love God and love others, as well as the great commission to make disciples. Both of these things are true. Now, I'm going to put up a graph here right now. And in this graph, I, want, I just want you to catch. And maybe you can even just do a self-diagnostic right now. And again, if you're not a Christian here, it's okay. You can actually follow along with what we're talking about. You see, if you were to look at the y-axis here, the y-axis is basically high invitation or low invitation. Let's just call that the love axis, yeah? So high invitation being highly loving invitation and, and low, lowly loving invitation. And meanwhile, the x-axis, low challenge and high challenge, that x-axis, let's call that the mission axis, okay? Now, notice in quadrant four, which is the bottom right-hand corner, high challenge, high mission, low love. Uh, You can notice that that's what's known as a stressful quadrant. You can imagine why. Because so much of it is about advancement, growth, and maybe if you're on a sports team, right, that's what it's about, right? Like winning at all costs, And, and what people feel or think about it doesn't even matter, that tends to be a very stressful um, place. A discouraged culture ends up ensuing. In church context, for instance, words like spiritual abuse are thrown around because it's so driven by mission. And of course, we could use scripture to baptize that and say, we're supposed to be high challenge. But what ends up happening is if it's void of love, what ends up happening is people feel incredibly stressed out, hurt, burnt out, that sort of thing. If that's ever happened at this church, sorry, I apologize. Um, And if it's happened to you in your spiritual journey or wherever you've been before, you probably have felt the the impact or maybe you've worked in an organization that was high mission, low like culture team, right? The low love. And in those kinds of environments, again, it's a stressful culture. Okay, if you were to go to quadrant three, which is the lower left-hand corner, um, this is low love, low mission. And we call that the boring culture. <laughs> and the boring quadrant or the apathetic culture, it's a place where, okay, it's not very loving. And it's not. Now, most New Yorkers would self-select out of this. That is not for me, right? So if we go to quadrant two, though, which is, let's say it's high love, high invitation, but low challenge. Very cozy place. It's a place, again, it's a cozy culture. I mean, you could imagine this, right? And just pure honesty here, this, I really like this quadrant. Um, I really like being here. In fact, I love creating this kind of environment because, honestly, there's a part of me that's been in too many stressed-out cultures, and I really like the loving, cozy culture. Um, and in that cozy culture, what ends up happening is people are invited and they're included to, you know, God loves you just as you are. But do you see, if we take that posture of creating just this loving, inclusive community where everyone is accepted just where you are, but we're never challenged into mission to become more than that. We're never moved to become better parents, better husbands and wives, better neighbors, better followers of Jesus, if we're never moved that God, to believe that God has something more for us, then we're actually missing out on the fullness of God's call to us. 
because we're just kind of stuck in the great commandment, but we've missed out on the great commission, this move towards actually being a people who are now starting to impart um, the way of Jesus to others. Now, if you were to do a self-diagnostic, and again, and culture, quadrant number one, of course, high love, high challenge, high mission, that's the discipling culture. That's where we hope to get to. That's where hopefully we can have a discipling culture where people are living and really embracing the grace and the love of God, but yet also being challenged to grow into deeper maturity, into the fullness of who and what God has for us. I mean, isn't this the aspiration that all of us have? Now, if I were to ask you this question right now, you could probably do a diagnostic of yourself. Now, here's what I realize. This doesn't mean like, hey, once you become a Christian, you're immediately plopped into culture one, right? Uh, or quadrant one. Rather, for us, which quadrant do we find ourselves in? Are we in a place of apathy? Are we in a place of, this is cozy, I really like this, but I haven't been challenged to move deeper into the fullness of what God has for us. Or am I in a place where I'm just super stressed out, I'm not feeling the love, I don't feel warmth and accepted in the kindness of God over my life. Now, we're gonna come back to this idea of where, when it comes to this self-diagnostic, where do we find ourselves? And here's what I realize. If you're not a Christian here, you're probably even looking at this and you're like, ah, Drew, even you talking about mission and moving outward and beginning to, to impress the ways of Jesus upon others, that feels very uncomfortable for me. Because it gets back to what we talked about last week, this, this move towards triumphalism, this movement towards wanting to infect and influence. Like, I'm just not all about that. Well, what if I told you this? What if I told you that it's not just Christians who are interested in advancing mission, in advancing the way of Jesus? It's actually, everyone is. The whole world is contending for your attention, for my attention, for all of our affections. Uh, your families of origin are contending, and the ways that your family have done things are contending for the way that you've been shaped and thinking the media, the education system. See, what we're doing, what we're talking about when we're talking about discipleship and we're talking about being informed by the way of Jesus, the reality is every single one of us, we've got messages bombarding us every single day on our social media feeds, in our LinkedIn feeds, in any kind of feeds, in people around us, by our coworkers, by the media that we consume, we are constantly being bombarded with the shaping of culture. I mean, and that's why Paul, look at what he says in Romans chapter 12. That brings us to the passage that we read. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, some of you are like, that sounds so archaic. Living sacrifice, what is he talking about? All he's saying is, um, therefore, in view of God's mercy, let's be all in with this faith thing. Let's be more shaped by Jesus than we are by anything else. And look at how he illustrates this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, why does he say that? Why? Because there are so many patterns of the world around us. Like I said, whether it's in media, it's in the cultures that we are embedded in, it's in New York culture. There are so many ways that we are being conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are in contended space. And here, here's what I realize. I can abdicate my responsibility as a parent to my child, right? And just say like, oh, let David just be free as a bird. My son David, who's 10 years old, let him be free as a bird and let him just be influenced by whoever else. 
But if I do that, then I've abdicated my responsibility as someone to say, no, no, David, what I want to impart to you is that you're going to be someone who loves the New York Yankees. You know, like, uh, I'm just kidding. Um, hopefully they win. Um, <laughs> Tina and I were talking because she's from Houston originally. Whoa, whoa, what happened there? That was an unexpected moment right there. Guys, we are in contended space here. Um, <laughs> Right, there's all, we're in contended space. There are all sorts of value statements and ways of the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view all sorts of things that end up being more shaped not by Jesus, but by all sorts of other messages that we receive. So for instance, if you look at this list, check it out. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about conflict. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about grief and loss. Let's talk about anger, expressing anger or family, or relationships, or attitudes toward other cultures, or success, or feelings and emotions. Now, if we were to go and do another inventory on your life and of mine, and we were to just go down the list and be able to say this question, like, your views of money and the ways you use money, is it more shaped by Jesus in the way of Jesus, or is it more shaped by your family of origin? Or is it more shaped by, you know, all the commercial ads that are trying to get you to sign up for this subscription after another you see, we're in contended space. Either it's being shaped by Jesus or it's being shaped by something or someone else. I know when it comes to money, I'm more shaped by my family immigrant history with money. More shaped by that than, more, than being shaped by the way of Jesus. You see, there are all sorts of ways that we are conforming. And the question for you and for me in this contended space is who or what are we being shaped by? Who or what are you conforming to? And who or what... Are you conforming others to? See, all of us are espousing different values. We're walking in the ways of the world that we live in at work, in our families, in our lives, in our friendships. And that's the question, isn't it? Who or what is conforming you? And who or what are you conforming others to? Now, what Paul is basically saying is, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to God in this manner where you're not being conformed by the patterns of this world, but you're being conformed by the ways of Jesus. And again, if we were to self-diagnose right now, according to the list that was put up earlier, what is shaping our views of these things, of these elements of our lives, success and what success is? Uh, Tina and I, we went to a marriage conference in June together, and it was a small, it was a cohort, and we were focusing on our marriage, and we were talking about building cultures uh, and in Emotional Healthy Relationships, which, are, which is our discipleship course here, um, a couple weeks ago, we were also talking about building a culture of blessing over one another. That we, hopefully in our marriages, that we, we create cultures of affirmation and blessing, right? And even in the passage that was read earlier, it talks about blessing instead of cursing. Why? Because that's the way of Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Tina and I have been Christians for many years. And one of the things that we were talking about in our marriage and in, in the dynamic of our marriage was um, we don't really, we haven't blessed each other as much as we could have. Why? Because we grew up in families that like it was not, it wasn't good to give compliments to one another. In fact, Tina, she was telling me, she said, um, she said, yeah, in my family, if I, gave, if I gave a compliment, there was always this fear that you were going to get a big head. 
So he said, so, she, she, so we were talking about like in our families of origin, like it, the families that we grew up in then wasn't cultures of blessing. It was cultures of cursing. No, I'm just kidding. Not, maybe not that extreme, but it was cultures of critique. And this is what you need to do to improve and da, 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 da. Avoid of any kind of blessing or affirmation. Now, isn't that interesting? Here we are, married, 14 years. We're talking about this issue of the culture of our marriage. And at the reality, we're being more shaped, not by the way of Jesus, but by the way of legacy of Hyuns and legacy of Parks, which is my wife's maiden name, right? Like there's, we've been shaped more by our families. So it's a way then that we're imparting even to our children then. It's a way of not building a culture of blessing, but maybe a culture of cursing, a culture of you're not good enough, a culture of whatever it might be. And so in that moment, now some of you, even now, you grew up in a culture where also you were taught if you, if you bless too much, people are going to get a big head. I know y'all, Manhattanites, highly driven, motivated people. Um, one of the, um, the, the things, I remember reading Patrick Lencioni, who's a business management guru, and one of the things he says is that no one ever left a company for being encouraged too much. And if you have, if you're one of those people, that's really interesting. I don't know what that says about you, but just let me know, right? No one ever leaves a company for being encouraged too much, right? But there is this thing, right, where the way of Jesus is about creating a culture of blood. And yet here I am being more shaped by my family of origin and by all these fears that if I, if I tell Tina too much that she is lovely and I appreciate her, I don't want her to get too arrogant. Gosh, where does that thought come from? Who or what is conforming me? And how am I conforming others? Right? And the invitation that Paul is giving about following the way of Jesus is this completely countercultural way of thinking about the world. Now, some of you, again, some of you are uncomfortable because you're like, well, the popular visions and depictions of Christians, especially in modern culture today, really are not very compelling to me, Drew. You know, like, if you think about it, you're like, what Christians are mostly known for, the hypocrisy, the judgmentalism. Well, check out what Paul writes and notice, and even if you're not a Christian here, I'd love for you to follow along. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12 about the kind of ethic that Paul talks about. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In other words, he's basically saying, each of us are to steward in this manner whatever we've been given. Now, look at what he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Now, even if you're not a Christian, you can look at that and it's not like you're sitting there and being like, oh man, those Christians talking about hating what is evil. I want to teach my kids to love what is evil, right? Like no one says that. I mean, isn't this compelling though? Look, he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Now, even if you're not a Christian here, you look at this list and you're just, it's not like you're like recoiling at like, oh my goodness, I can't believe these Christians and what they're trying to get us to transform into. No, we look at this as an incredibly compelling vision of a way to live. See, but look, it doesn't end there. Check this out. Uh, he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Do not be conceited. Again, we're in contended space. How many people are basically saying, no, no, I want to raise my kid to be really, really conceited? No, isn't this vision of the world and the vision of what we're to transform into, isn't this an incredibly compelling vision? See, but it doesn't end there, right? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That part is basically talking about God's justice, that he will enact the wrongs of society and the world one day. Go to the next slide. Um, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Gosh, what kind of ethic says this? If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. What kind of ethic invites people to live with mercy and grace? In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, That's just a way of saying, kill him with kindness. Uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that a compelling vision? And the question for me and for you is, what or who are we being conformed by? And what or who are we conforming others into? What is the ethic that informs us? Is it the New York way? Is it your family of origin way? Is it your wounded way? Or is it the way of Jesus that calls us into something more? Into this beautiful vision of of who we're called to be. Now, here's the thing. Some of you look at this list and you're like, I knew it. I didn't come to church to be guilted into this. You just put a bunch of stuff up there that I'm guilty of not being able to do. Blessing those who create. What are you talking about, Drew? This is one of the hardest things to do. And I knew it. This is what church is always like. Giving me a list of rules to do. Maybe that's your response. But here's the thing. If you know anything about the book of Romans, it was never written by first saying, hey, these are the things that you need to do to get right. In fact, Christianity has never been about that. In fact, Christianity has been something entirely unique because religion says this, do all these good things, then God might love you. But look at the order in which Paul writes. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, look at what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's wrath. (laughs) No, it doesn't say that. It says, in view of God's mercy. His mercy. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, here's the thing. This is chapter 12. If you were to actually read the book of Romans from chapter 1 on, the letter to the church in Rome is this incredible letter that's written about how the very starting point of the Christian faith is not about how you can earn your way to God. In fact, it's a letter about God's incredible love for you and me, his grace for us, that no matter how far we might run, no matter how far we might fall, no matter how much we might miss the mark, God's love and his kindness is ever with us and for us. And so Paul is writing all the way up until this point. And he's not saying, hey, do all these things. Bless those who curse you and you better do this so that God will be pleased with you. No, he's basically saying like, you see, if you can actually receive God's love and mercy, when you can really begin to get it and you are secure and transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're transformed by being so secure in the love of God. It's only then 
that you can then begin to do likewise. Not out of your own strength or courage or awesomeness, although you might be awesome and great or whatever, but solely out of first having experienced God for who he is. Maybe the reason why we have never been able to fully live into this vision that Paul has for us is because we haven't fully experienced the grace and the mercy of God. Richard Loveless, uh, he wrote a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And check out what he says. He says, we start each day with our personal security, resting not on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or recent achievements in the Christian life. This is basically what he's saying. Most days, we, like our feelings and our moods, they're capricious, and they're based on whether we feel like we've achieved enough or it's based on how we feel that morning. But look at what he says. Since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we are inevitably moved either to discouragement and apathy or to a self-righteousness which falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. When it's based on our feelings and it's based on our performance, you can even think right now, what you're going through at work, what you're going through in relationships, it's based on what that person thinks of you. It's based on whether or not you're going to get that promotion and as a result, we live in this constant state of discouragement or apathy, or we begin to become self-righteous. We begin to think, actually, I am all that. I do deserve what I'm getting. I'm way better than this person at work. I'm da-da-da-da, whatever it might be. And so this is what basically Lovelace is saying. He's basically saying whenever our sense of self-worth and identity is based on anything but the love of God, what ends up happening, we get so discouraged, we get apathetic, we become despairing, or we become self-righteous. But look at what he says, and I love this image. He says, the faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources, from social media, from LinkedIn, from our families back home, whenever we're able to warm ourselves at the fire of God's love, that's actually the root of peace. I love this image of warming ourselves at the fire of God's love. Uh, actually, here's an image. The marshmallows are there for increased effect. I don't know if that helps you. You know, those, those cold winter days when you get a fire going. Uh, obviously, we don't do that much in New York City. Uh, so come to the retreat November 18th to 20th. <laughs> But whenever, uh, one of the reasons why we love going to retreats is that we've kind of associated like going to retreats for our kids with like fireplace, if, like a fire and uh, s'mores. And so um, our kids, one of the things that they always look forward to whenever we go on retreats is like sitting around the fire or standing around the fire and making s'mores. And there's a warmth and there's, uh, there's just something about warming ourselves at the fire and uh, what's really cool is, you know, my kids now, every year, whenever we go to the retreat to eat s'mores and be around a fire, they look forward to it. And that's like their highlight for their day. And what I realize about our kids is that whenever they're in this mood where they know that they're going to get a fire and s'mores, they're just in an exceedingly, incredibly good mood. <laughs> and one of the, I realize it's during those times I need to take advantage of that. So like, you know, so like, I'm like, oh, David, we have the, we have the fire that's going to go on tonight. Hey, um, my son is 10. And I'm like, 
hey, can I, can I just get a hug? Like, I'm a, I'm a very affectionate type of person, but my, my son is not. And so I'm like, can I just get a hug? And he's like, okay, Appa. When are we going to get the s'mores? You know, like, like, I'm like, you know what? I think I need you to hold me a little longer. You know, I just need you to. <laughs> I know I'd take advantage of him. But, um, but it, there's something, right? When, you've, when you're, you're warm, you're secure, you're feeling awash in the glow of love and warmth and rootedness. Like, when I'm in that moment, I'm more generous, I'm more kind. There's just something about when you've been warmed at the fire of, of love that you don't need to find it anywhere else. You don't need to slip into those kinds of relationships. You don't need to make these decisions out of trying to impress other people. When you're secure, when you're secure and rooted in love, it changes everything. And, and see, when Paul, when he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, what, he, what he's saying is like, see, the, the start of the Christian journey is, is not do all these things. It's actually warm yourself at the fire of his love. Will you know his love for you? Will you know that he is for you? Will you know that you don't have to find love in all these other places? Instead, you can... You can be so secure in who he is. And then what happens is you are now conformed to his image. Instead of being awash in the news reports, in the culture at work, and being conformed by social media, instead we become a people who are warming ourselves at the fire of his love. And, and it changes everything now. Because now I'm... I'm being transformed in him. But not only that, what I'm, I'm starting to do now is I'm starting to not only be transformed in him, but now I'm hopefully investing myself in conforming others to be warmed at the fire of God's love. That hopefully my children and the people that I'm around, that the way they experience me is someone who's rooted and not someone who's capricious or so lusting after different ambitions but as someone who is rooted, warmed at the fire of God's love. And as a result, there's a, a, hopefully a humility, an approachability, a loving presence that I can carry. Do you see how this works? Do you see? And the question is, who or what is conforming you? And who or what are you conforming others to? You know what's so beautiful? Uh, Romans 8, which is largely the passage that people point to as being one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture written. It's when Paul talks about, see, if you really, if you really have had this experience with God, if you've really known him, not just known about him, not just attended services and done the church thing, but if you've really experienced him, check out the reality of, of what Paul writes he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? He says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is who God is. He will not withhold any of his love from you and from me. 
He is for you. Those moments when you feel doubt, those moments when you feel anxiety, those moments when you're just like, man, I don't know if God's going to show up this way. Like, do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, gosh, if you can find yourselves rooted in his love, he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has, has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? or difficulties, or relational issues, or financial struggles, or this city where it's so dirty sometimes? <laughs> what shall separate us from the love of God? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But look at what it says. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, have you warmed yourselves at the fire of his love? Is this the God that you know? Or do you know a God who is a taskmaster? A God who withholds from you? A God who doesn't know and doesn't want what's best for you? And here what Paul is saying is like, no, don't you see if you really knew who God is? Then yeah, why, why would you not come and warm yourselves at the fire of his love? Who or what is conforming or transforming you? And who or what are you conforming others into? The invitation for each one of us today, will you and me, will we all in the contended spaces, when it comes to that list of every money, sex, relationships, expressing anger, attitudes, will we be more shaped by Jesus than we will be shaped by the voices around us?